let's hold them up. <clears throat> I'm a child of God. Have in my hand the powerful word of God. It can change lives, heal broken hearts, and save man's soul. Here's our prayer. Lord Jesus, today, speak to me. In Jesus' name, amen. Encourage your neighbor. High five, pound them, whatever you need to do. Encourage those neighbors. Turn in those Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to be spending a little time over the next several weeks in Ephesians 4. Most of us have seen the time-lapse photography of a lowly caterpillar becoming a butterfly. The footage usually starts with this ponderous little worm inching its way along and devouring leaves, uh, not moving very quickly, looking silly, very awkward. It actually labors to cover just short distances. But when it gets to about two inches in length, it takes a break from stuffing itself. I know some of you are going, you've, you've skipped the prayer time. I want to get to it, okay? Hang in there. All right. But it finds a protective branch. It rigs up a silk thread by which it fastens its tail to that branch. Once it's secured, this little caterpillar begins to contort its body, gyrating in curious ways. It's really unclear at first what's happening, and then suddenly the outer skin of this worm seems to unzip, and it reveals a green chrysalis within. Minutes later, that molting is done in the green pod that is left becomes motionless and lasts that way for about 14 days. Nothing seems to be happening for a while. But then on about day 12, the walls of the greenish cocoon become transparent. For the first time, we can see that something dramatic has happened inside. But it's not until a day or two later that the full story is told. All at once, that little creature within begins to struggle and push and until finally the shell of its miniature incubator cracks open, pushing itself out of the impossibly small pod, there comes a monarch butterfly. Wet, trembling, and dark, it takes a few minutes to unfold itself, Opening its collapsed wings for the first time, it forces them outward to full capacity, spreading patterns of color and symmetry on a very new canvas. And then this ex-earthbound caterpillar seizes the wind, lifts off, and delicately manages the currents like a poem set in motion. It's one of the wonders of God's world that such drastic transformation takes place. Where there was once an ugly, cumbersome grub laboring to get the next leaf, there is now this magnificent butterfly that bears no resemblance to its former self. We almost can't take our eyes off of it as it flits and flitters from flower to flower in effortless and magical ways. What would it be like to go 
through such drastic changes. To be changed from the slow-moving treadmill existence that seems so pointless into someone, someone who soars with purpose and joy. To conquer the cycle of sinning with the accompanying accusations of Satan so that you experience ever-lengthening periods of time freed of sin. To become so much more than you once were through the extraordinary inner work of the Spirit of God. Wow. The Bible says that this miraculous inside-out change is the experience of every true believer. In fact, the very same word used to describe the transformation of a caterpillar into a butterfly is used by the Holy Spirit to describe God's work in us. It's that word metamorphosis. And God has that in mind when He talks about you and me making changes, being transformed. The, word, the root word morphu means form or nature. It refers to the real inner essence of a person and thing. If the word was applied to you, it would describe the real you, the true nature of who you are and how that works its way outward in your behavior. This was the word used to describe Jesus by Paul in Philippians 2 and verse 6. When Paul was explaining that Jesus didn't come into existence like we do, that prior to his birth to Mary, he existed eternally. Paul says that Jesus was in the form, morphu, of God. He was the very essence, the very nature of God. Now you take that root word and you add the Greek word and prefix meta to it. It means to change the essential nature or something or someone. This is inside work that has major repercussions on outside living. Thus, metamorphosis. In two weeks, I want to explore with you how exactly God does that. Transforming a person who is born again. Reordering their spiritual DNA. Reprogramming their mindset. And redirecting their choices so that they make on, uh, and become the very and take on the very image of Christ and you don't want to miss that all-important study in just a couple of weeks but this morning there's the first step that we must take in order to understand what I'm going to tell you in two weeks last week we opened at Ephesians 4 and verse 1 and we saw a very basic principle about true Christians from Scripture again let's look at that verse if you have your Bibles open there I therefore a prisoner of for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. We focused last week on the word worthy, which is Paul's, in Paul's day, referred to that, and I use the illustration of the counterweight of a seesaw, the counterweight of a kind of scales by, by which objects are accurately weighed. Now, I love the counterweights. It's, it's fun to watch them. Paul is really saying in that verse, take all that you do, all that you say, all that you've done, and you put it on one side of the scale. And all that you've done, all that you've said, all that you've, you, you, you've been a part of, you put it on there, and then we're going to put and see if you're walking worthy means that it's going to balance when we put all the things that Jesus did for you on the other side. And we're going to see how that balances. 
We'll take a look and see how that balances. You see, the world will identify us as hypocrites, but it's a far worse thing if God labels us as hypocrites. I want my life to be counterbalanced. All that Jesus does for me, all that Jesus did for me, I can put on one side and I need to make sure that my life helps balance that. Amen? But somewhat, it may still somewhat be too general. My heart is deceitful. And generalities allow me to remain deceitful. So Paul gets pretty specific. Since God changes us from the inside out, what exactly does? Christ's likeness look like on the inside and how is that expressed in my life? Well, we're going to take a look this morning at chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. So keep your Bibles open there, get your pens out, your highlighters out, uh, fill out the outline as we go along, but also I want you to maybe make some notes in your Bible to underline some things, to highlight some things, because Paul gives us in these next verses four attitudes that are bedrock in our Jesus living lives and the way Jesus means us to live and he wants to live through us with these four attitudes and if we'll develop them if we'll develop them we'll find our lives be more fulfilling and more fruitful so what are those four attitudes that show you're walking worthy I therefore the prisoner in the Lord urge you to walk worthy of the calling you've received keep going with all humility I challenge you to try to think about Jesus without thinking about number one. The number one attitude needs to be humility. Think about him and not think about humility. It so framed the character of our Savior from beginning to end. It became a hallmark of his life. In God's plan, he was born in a manger, in a stall where cows lived. Lived a poor life. Never served in public office. He never wrote a book. He routinely exercised restraint in the presence of stark pride. He washed the feet of his disciples like a slave. He submitted willingly to the humiliating torture of death on the cross. That's my Jesus. Is that your Jesus? And he looks at us. And in Matthew 18, 4, Jesus says, Whoever humbles himself like this child, this one is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus frequently used the illustration of children. And that, and that we should be uh, trusting and have a trusting nature like that of a child. Why would he do that? Because a child has no power. He's not considered great in this world. He's not strong. He's not self-sufficient. Last night I had the privilege and honor of doing Holly Martin's wedding. Some of you will know, remember Ernie and Judy Martin's, their daughter Holly got married yesterday afternoon. And at the reception last night as we finished the meal, they always have those first dances and they get to dance. Boy, and people were cutting a, cutting a rug, as they say, at this dance. And I was thrilled to just watch because for me to cut a rug is, it's better if I just cut it with really literally. But we were watching it, and I was just taken by uh, Don and Pat's uh, granddaughters uh, across the way, uh, Kimberly's uh, children, triplets. They were all just watching. They were standing on the edge of the floor, just standing there mesmerized. And then she finally drug them out on the floor, and they just went nuts. 
They just went nuts. They just thought, somebody give me an opportunity to turn loose here. And that's, what, that's the way kids are, aren't they? Cindy happened to notice a little boy. I think he was six months old, but he looked like he was already in high school. But he was, uh, he was a big old boy. And he was, I mean, that mom could not, could not spoon food in the fast of that boy. I mean, it was everywhere. Eat, poop, clean up, and he doesn't have to do any of it himself. Hallelujah. Is there anything better in life? But you know, that's the way children are. That's the way children are. There's nothing about them that makes you honor them or look at them and, and they don't write books and there's nothing accomplished about them. But a child isn't bothered by any of that. It never crosses their mind. Those children got out on that floor and they were dancing. They looked as silly as they could look. There was a couple of, there was one couple, a little older couple, they got out there and they, they had to be ballroom dancers, man. I mean, they took off and we were all going, oh, they were unbelievable. But you know what? Those kids were gyrating and throwing themselves up in the air and falling on the ground. They were having the time of their life. Because you know what? They didn't care about all that other stuff. And that's the way kids are. If you hurt one of them, if, some, if you hit, hit them with a rock, they cry. And then what do they do? Well, they hit you back. Or you go over and say, I'm sorry, and they go, okay. And then they keep playing together. Now, when you get to be an adult and you hit yourself with a rock in the head, well, you, you sue them. You sue them for everything they got. Amen? That's what we do as adults. That's right. Because, you see, we don't learn. We, we, we forget about what it means to be a kid. Humility, says Johnny Erickson Tata, is just another word for the little, lost, little last, lost, least position that we hold when gazing at Christ. Humility says, I don't have to have my way. Humility says things don't necessarily have to, have to please me because I can see that it's meeting the needs of others. Humility says the music is not what I'd prefer. The decision of that committee kind of goes against what I'd like. The refreshments, they're not handled the way I would do it. The carpet isn't the color I would have picked. But hey, that's okay. Because I, what I want is not the deciding factor. I want what's good for others. And you know, that's what Jesus did. You can tell when humility takes hold, it's when you suddenly realize that you've gone a long period of time without thinking of yourself. If you're the center of your attention, driven by your wants, pushing for your way, claiming your rights, I would encourage you to experience more metamorphosis. You aren't much like Jesus at those times. Now let me talk about the second attitude. On in our verse, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord urge you to walk worthy of calling you've received with all humility and, and, what's your Bible say? Gentleness. The term was used in the New Testament days to describe horses that had been broken. The animal still had its strength, it still had its spirit, but it was under control of another person. You might define the word gentleness as power under control. Practically, we can say that humility is expressed not by insisting on our rights, not being easily offended, not holding grudges. Jesus comes to mind when you think about someone that defines gentleness. gentleness. When the mob came to arrest him in the garden, he could have called a legion of angels, 10,000 angels, but he didn't. When Pilate was in his face, 
You ever had anybody get in your face? Call you all kinds of things? Make accusations at you? He could have at that point spit back at him. Because <laughs> I'm sure Pilate was, you know, as people get excited and emotional, they sometimes spit, don't they? It's never a pleasant experience. I love the commercial where uh, the coach comes out from the Cubs now and he's, no, he's noted for being thrown out of games because he, but he comes out and he goes, hey, the call was okay, but I've got a reputation to oppose. Throw me out of this game, all right? And so he's, okay, I will, and he throws him out. Give the missus a hello for me. Okay, I will, and you do the same. And, you know, they're back and forth. But can you imagine? Can you imagine? Gentleness. Gentleness. Tell me, when Jesus looked at Pilate, when he faced the death he was facing, did he show weakness? No, not in those situations. He was very strong. Had nothing to prove. Had no one to impress. And with the power he used to bring the world into being at his disposal, he willingly pulled in and reined in any impulse to retaliate or take over. He trusted in the timing of his father. Timing is critical. James 3.13 reminds us of the value of gentleness when it says, Who is wise and understanding among you? He should show his works by good conduct with wisdom's gentleness. Find it hard to keep from showing others how much you really know or giving them your two bits about what you really ought to be done in a situation. Do you have trouble with that? Know anybody like that? Do you have a, a reputation as one who puts others in their place and knows how to play church politics well? It's a good indicator that your life could be out of balance and is out of balance with your identity as a Christian. You're not living like Jesus. Third attitude. Let's go back to our verse. I therefore the prisoner and the Lord urge you to walk worthy of the calling you've received with all humility and gentleness and with patience. Number three. Literally the word means long-tempered. Or as I heard one person say it, long-fused. It's all about how you respond to frustrations, inconveniences, delays, aggravating people, maddening circumstances like driving down the highway going to Salisaw, Oklahoma. People are nuts on the road today. There are two lanes, four together, two lanes, if you're going to go 15 miles an hour, get out, of the, get out of both lanes. Amen? Can I get an amen there? If it's raining, pouring down rain, and you're pulling a boat as big as Texas, you're putting out a wave that will wash people off the road. Either quit driving or speed up. My wife said, quit tailgating in my car, tailgate in your car. I said, honey, I'm not tailgating. They have slowed so far down. I caught them. This is an area that I'm str <laughs> I struggle with. How people drive. And how goofy they are. No, how stupid they are. 
I mean, they're just stupid. Can I hear my truck drivers in the, in the room? Oh, the stories they could tell you. John, John swerved. What'd you miss? What'd you swerve to miss that last, and they wrote you up on it? A big old turtle. The guy has a soft heart, all right? He didn't run over the turtle in his tandem truck that he pulled. He could have squashed that sucker flat right on the road now. But he swerved to miss it. Kind of went off the road. He came back on the road. Policeman pulls him over, writes him up. <laughs> because he was being a nice guy. So, I, so, so his boss told me, he said, it doesn't matter what it is, run over it. So you, you can already hear what John said back to him. Okay, next person I see in the road, they're going down. Wow. Hey, I understand his frustration, don't you now? Come on. Just getting from here to McDonald's. I mean, they're, they're nuts out here on the street. Then James, James in chapter 1 says this, My dearly beloved brothers, understand this. Everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, for a man's anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Now, I just want to take that verse out. Because he has just nailed me to the wall. I'm grateful for those of you that get behind the wheel and it's just happy sunshine day. There ain't nothing. The wind's in your hair. Everything's good. Speed limit says 22. You're going 21 and a half. Just to be on the safe side. Uh, I admire you. I'm at, I'm at 21 and... <laughs> Cruise control. Hebrews 12. Jesus endured. He endured the cross. Despised the shame. Endured hostility from sinners against him. You want to be like Jesus? Then the patience must become a mark in your life. Number four. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, accepting one another in love. It literally means putting up with people. It is messy to deal with people, and especially people you don't like. It's a messy job. It really gets real. It's where the rubber hits the road. It it may come to uh, as a shock to you, but even Jesus didn't like everybody that He met. In Luke chapter 9, verse 41, Jesus said, You unbelieving and rebellious generation, how long will I be with you and put up with you? That's what Jesus said. So I figure if Jesus has struggles, maybe it's okay if you and I have a struggle with Because aren't there just people that eat you alive? Aren't there people that just drive you nuts? Uh, Joyce Landorf years ago called them sandpaper people. Isn't that a great description? It doesn't matter what you do or what, they're going to rub you wrong. It doesn't matter. You got anybody like that in your life? Don't raise your hand. Because they may be sitting next to you. I know. Raise your hand. I mean, they, it doesn't matter what they say. <laughs> right? You know what I'm talking about, don't you? Well, we've got to work on this one. Bearing with one another. Bearing with another. It means enduring other people's differences, quirks, and irritating habits. It means realizing that the pastor has gaping holes in the fabric of his sanctification. In other words, 
I'm just like you. And most of you who've known me for the years that you've known me realize how truly human I am. I couldn't even remember I sent James a birthday card this week. Because love bears all things. Believes all things. Hopes all things. Endures all things. And according to 1 Corinthians 13, love never fails and never ends. When you forbear those who get on your nerves, you, start, you stop thinking, that person bothers me, and replace it with, that person sanctifies me. And I'll be honest with you, I'm still working on that. Especially in the area of my driving and people around me. I just... Uh... But those are the attitudes, those four. And they mark us. If we're living a life that's in balance with Jesus, they help us counterbalance what He's done for us. There should be in us humility, gentleness, patience, and bearing with each other. Where I'm deficient, further transformation needs to take place. How does that happen? Well, I'm going to tell you how to make it happen in a couple of weeks. But for now, let me add this. Every one of these attitudes is about relationships. You can't talk about humility or gentleness without being with people. You can't measure patience or forbearance unless you're hanging out with people. As the worship team comes to help me finish. God's classroom. God's classroom where spiritual maturity is imparted happens in the church. The whole context of our passage today is about people and the people of God. But I want you to look at the next few verses. Diligently keeping the unity of the Spirit with the peace that binds us. Verse 4, there is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. Growing into Christ's likeness is a community of faith project. The greenhouse to grow is here at the church with people. With people. God, give me patience. You're going to become a parent. Do not pray for God to give you patience. Because you'll become a parent. And then if you keep asking Him, He's going to keep giving you more kids. And the more kids you get, you're going to finally grit your teeth at Him and say, this is not what I meant. And He's going to go... Nah, 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 nah. No, I won't. But God wants to form our character. He wants to change us from the inside out. And He puts us in community with fellow believers where the image of Christ is stamped on each of us. We learn how to develop these characteristics these attitudes as we lovingly, graciously respond to each other. Father, I ask you this morning as we come to a close of our message hour that Lord, you will move in the hearts of your people. And when I work out what you've worked in me, I will diligently keep the unity of the Spirit with the peace that binds us. I will prove that there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all.
So, Father, today, if there's somebody here that needs to make a decision for you, if there's somebody here that needs to come to Christ for the very first time and accept you as their Savior, Lord, we'd love to have the opportunity to teach with them and to help them understand what that decision means. It's not just making and going through the motions. It's, there's a lot to it. So, Father, we need to encourage them and teach them in your word. There might be somebody here who's struggling, just needs prayer. Well, God, that's what the front's for. It's what our cross is for. We want them to come and feel free to just fall at the foot of that cross. And I can assure you, Father, there'll be people who'll come and pray with them. Lord, if there's a decision to be made today, would they make it? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand as we share it.